Crawford's just better now. That's all you can say. Run, Lindsey! Welcome into the Blog the Dogs podcast. Uh, I am Herschel Gurley. I'm here with my co-host, as always, Boss Dog. Boss, holler at the people. Welcome back, everyone. Hope you all enjoyed last week's podcast and uh, enjoy the ride. Yeah, so let's jump right into it. Uh, Obviously, big news since Jake announcing and Jamie Newman coming on board as the fifth-year quarterback is the offensive coordinator hire of Todd Munkin which so many layers to the Munkin hire. But just to start off, why don't you just give your impressions on the hire and and we'll go from there. Well, as I stated last week, as the kind of with everything was kind of the genesis of the offense and the changes forthcoming, I think the Munkin hire really kind of kicks that into high gear. In the college game, Munkin was known more as an air raid OC. I don't foresee Georgia going to that type of offense, but I think we're definitely going to see more of your downfield passing attack. He's definitely going to utilize the tight ends more. He's definitely going to stretch the field. There's definitely no question about that. We're going to see downfield passing, and I don't mean just bombs. There's going to be you know deep ends. There's going to be deep outs constantly being run deep posts. You know we're going to see you know more also more screens. There's just going to be more. It's going to be more of a pass offense. And it's like I think I read the stat that like our offenses the past three years have been about the last two years, not including seventeen, have been sixty three thirty seven run pass I think we'll be closer to the 52-48 we're still going to be run first but I think it'll be closer to a balanced offense which is definitely something that Georgia needs at this point in time I love the hire it shows that Kirby is really step taking a step back I don't think Munkin comes here unless he has full control of the offense yeah I agree with that I think that it's a a number of factors that probably played into all of this. I would be really curious to see if the changes would have been this aggressive if Jake had decided to stay. And maybe they would have been. You know, I, I think Kirby said a lot of stuff without saying it throughout the year about his satisfaction with the offense or or where he wanted it to be. I will say he, he had to have some idea that he was going to look because Munkin came free uh, and and he was hired fairly quickly. So I think there's something interesting to that. Uh, I also think, to your point, what I love about it is, regardless of what ends up happening with the offense, because obviously that remains to be seen and, and we'll see as the season comes on what what happens with that, but it's positive from my end because it shows that there's some urgency there with Kirby. And I think there always has been, but it, it's very indicative of where he's at with the program, that he wants to win now, that he knows with this defense and with the returning edge talent they have that they can win now, their time is now. And so I love that he wasn't scared to just make a change because to your point from last episode, there could have been some hesitancy there based off their success. I mean, as much as we bemoan things, they've they've won 11 games three years in a row, three straight SEC East titles, one SEC title. Uh, I think that's the big part about this too, is is how much the the standard has changed in such a short amount of time. People are irritated that they've appeared in the SEC championship game the last three years, 
and, and that's pretty much all they did in two of the three years. That's awesome, right? I'm so happy about that. I think you can attest to the fact that in years past, in, in the Mark Rick era, that's what used to bother me, is that it was just okay to, to win 10 games or just okay to go to the Outback Bowl or whatever. That's not the case anymore. It's If George doesn't go to the playoffs, fan base is upset. And I love that because I think that's part of being excellent. Uh, I think the culture has to be there not only on the team, but also uh, within the fan base. I, I do want to speak briefly about Todd Munkin's origin story because there's just a lot of interesting pieces to it. Uh, played quarterback in college, which I always love that because I just feel like it gives him more of a kinship with the quarterback, which is obviously the engine of the offense. Um, but he had his first coaching stop at Grand Valley State University. Can, can you answer for me who had a, had a career start at Grand Valley State as a head coach? As a head coach? As a head coach. No, no, I can't actually. Current Notre Dame coach, Brian, Brian Kelly, Kelly, got his wow. head coaching start at Grand Valley State. I bring this up to tell you that uh, they coached together. So Brian Kelly was, I believe, um, I can't remember which coordinator role he had there. I think he was the defensive assistant on that staff while Munkin was there. So they coached together. But I bring that up because on the heels of the NFC Championship game where good friends Robert Sala and Matt LaFleur, which we heard about all week, um, you know the reason that they're good friends? is because they coached together as graduate assistants for Brian Kelly when he was the head coach at Central Michigan. Get very interesting stuff. I mean, is that not the daisy chain of all daisy chains? Yeah, I know. Well, I, it's just it's just incredible that the staff that Brian Kelly had at Central Michigan, uh, you know who was the defensive coordinator on that staff? Butch Jones. <laughs> <laughs> so you have all these like big time names that all came from this staff that Brian Kelly had, which I just always find that interesting. So there's your um, there's the wormhole that you didn't need to go down on Todd Munkin, but I just figured I'd throw that out there as a point of interest. The other thing I wanted to throw by you on this is I think there's been this assumption that because it's Munkin and because he's been these certain places with this history that it's this this air raid. And I think you speak to the point that it's not going to be a traditional air raid where it's throw the ball over, all over the field. I mean, he's got some in his coaching past. He's had some successful rushers in his past. We want to talk about that a little bit. I don't know if this is the only one in history, but I do know when he was at Oklahoma State, he has one of the only teams that have a 4,000-yard passer and two 1,000-yard rushers. It's an elite company if he's not the only one. Also, when you look at his success in the NFL, the teams that he had, I mean, let's be realistic. The Buccaneers teams that he was the offensive coordinator on, the Buccaneers have been, to put it lightly, garbage forever. You have to go back to the Mike Allstott days for when they were really, really good. But he was putting up extreme passing yards. And this is where I caution dog fans with this, is those teams put up great passing numbers because they were down a lot. And their rushing stats were pretty awesome considering how, how far down they were so early in games, considering they had to throw the ball to try to get back in these games because their defense was so bad. Their defense in Munkin's um, two years that he was there were in the bottom third and in one year, they were 28. So, I mean, they were bad early most of the time. So, and they still, they didn't have thousand yard rushers, but they still had, you know, good rushing numbers as a team. They weren't led by Ryan Fitzpatrick like Miami was this year. Yeah, I, I think the, there's some other interesting pieces 
whether it, you think about it philosophically or whether you think about it from what the genesis of this was, but it seems that Kirby was really influenced or has been really influenced by his initial coaching stop with Valdosta State. And I bring that up because he was there, what, in the 2000-2001 season when Chris Hatcher was the head coach uh, and Valdosta State was the class of Division II football. Uh, Chris Hatcher was the quarterback at Valdosta State for Hal Mummy, Hal Mummy, uh, the inventor of the air raid offense. Um, his uh, offensive coordinator, folks may remember, was Mike Leach, uh, the new head coach at Mississippi State. So Kirby has seen what that type of offense can look like and what it can do for a defense, I think. So I do think there's some something interesting about that. And, and to kind of piggyback off of that, there was another hire on the offensive staff, Buster Faulkner, who also has Valdosta State ties. I know you have told me what your thoughts are on his hire and what it means for the rest of the staff, but what, what were your thoughts when you saw shortly on the heels of the Munkin hire that Faulkner was hired? Well, we'll get into how this affects the staff overall, but just how this affects the team. I love the Faulkner hire because I really felt that one thing that was missing from this team this year, or that we felt the loss of Jay Johnson more than I think anyone was willing to admit. I believe it was uh, Sean Walton. Is that correct? Was the, is that the correct name? I think that's right. Was the quality control analyst. And I'm not saying that he did a bad job, but it was clear that... Maybe Watson. Watson. Sean Watson. I'm sorry. Was uh, it, it was clear that he wasn't Jay Johnson. And losing Jay Johnson, I mean, th those were big shoes to fill in that role. Now, congratulations to Jay. He did a great job at Colorado this year. But just not having him analyzing that tape each week, I really think that that hurt Jake more than anyone was really willing to admit, especially once Cager went down, once the security blanket was gone. And, you know, then he do also doesn't have Jay Johnson. I know Jay Johnson's not an on-field coach, but those analysts, Kirby's great at replacing those usually with former coordinators or head coaches. And they do a great job, you know, at what they do. And I just feel that if Faulkner is going to stay in that role, being a former offensive coordinator in this type of system that Munkin's going to run is going to be invaluable for all of the, the offense. And I think it's going to help whatever transition there's going to be. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think it's always better to have as many guys on staff as possible that have coordinator experience just because you're essentially functioning as the boss of that side of the football. So I think there's a ton of benefit to that. I think it was interesting. I saw that in addition to the, the Munkin salary, they, they've showed that the Buster Faulkner salary was released as well. And he made two hundred and fifty grand in Hattiesburg last year as the OC for Southern Miss, and he's going to make one hundred and fifty grand at UGA, which I find interesting. Um, and maybe it's just one of these things where he's non-power five, wants to get in the power five door, and try to climb his way up the ladder. So this is this is how you start, as you do that. But that's a pretty substantial pay cut, and you're taking a cut in your title to come be an off the field guy at UGA. So I think there's a lot of interesting 
pieces to that. Again, Buster Faulkner played quarterback at Valdosta State. So again, those Valdosta State connections come up. But I think he's a great supplement for um, for Todd Munkin. And I think, you know, I, I would obviously think that Todd that he wasn't hired without consulting Todd Munkin. So uh, hopefully there's some some good synergy there and, and they get on the ground running and, and start rolling once spring practice starts. No, I think that with Faulkner also, one thing that we didn't have on staff last year was we didn't have people on staff who had played the quarterback position before. So they didn't know the ins and outs, the mechanics of the position as well as not necessarily that they should be, but but from someone that had played the position before. That has been rectified this offseason. And I think that that is something that will benefit the entire quarterback room. Um, and I don't think we can really downplay that enough of how much just those little things that go into playing a quarterback position. I mean, you can speak to this much more than I can having played it, that how much the little things go into playing it that those um, that Munkin and Faulkner will be able to help with, that we didn't have someone on staff necessarily that could do that last year. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think that was one of the undersold stories from the 2019 season was Jake's development from a coaching perspective. He obviously looked different mechanically than he had in years past. And, you know, iron sharpens iron. So um, if he didn't have anybody there counseling him, you know, pushing him, somebody with that experience, you know, hey, I saw this. Did you see this? And and that takes a different eye than maybe somebody that, that didn't play the position. So I certainly agree with that. And it, it'll it'll help to have a guy on staff who's run, who's played an offense somewhat similar to that. Yeah, interesting Buster Faulkner note, if we're going to go down another wormhole, played at, I believe, Parkview High School in Georgia, high school teammate of, do you know this? No. John Stinchcomb? Where, where do you find this stuff? Oh, man, I got, you know, this is the kind of stuff I live for. If, if there was a way I could make money spending useless information, I could retire early. So, yeah. State state championship with John Stinchcomb at I believe it's called Parkview High School. Uh, so there's your your Georgia connection. There is um, him and John Stinchcomb go way back. Apparently he also grew up a Georgia fan because of the proximity to the university. I think he's like forty minutes away or something. In the town he grew up in. So um, you gotta love stuff like that, right? Like maybe that plays into it. The heartstrings play into it where he wants to come be a part of something that he loved as a kid, and this is the end. Maybe he wants to come home. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of truth to that. Plus, man, I ain't been to Hattiesburg, but Athens got to be nicer than Hattiesburg. I, I can't imagine it, it isn't. I, I'm just, I don't mean, I. hey, look, I, I'd, I'd love to go to Hattiesburg. I'm sure Hattiesburg a beautiful place. I'm just saying Athens pretty nice. So this kind of leads into, though, obviously, what does all of this mean for James Coley? You know, I know that the the release said his title is going to change to assistant head coach, and, and that's all fine. But what does this functionally mean? If he's not going to be calling the plays, if he's not going to have his hands directly in the offense, where does he go from here? If you had to uh, put your mortgage payment on it, do you think James Coley is wearing red and black next season? No. I would be shocked if he's wearing red and black next season. I would be shocked if he's wearing red and black February 7th this year. I think it'll be announced after signing day that he is leaving the program. If I had to take a guess, I would say it's probably to A&M to go coach with Jimbo Fisher 
I don't know what position they have available, but I do know they have a position coach available on the offensive side of the ball. My expectation is Yeah, I think it's tight I think it's tight ends coach. Tight ends coach. Jimbo wanted him last year to come and be the OC, no play calling duties. I think it maybe it might have been two years ago. And he turned it down because he was next in line to be an offensive coordinator. And I feel like that that is probably what's going to happen next. Uh, that he'll go coach for Jimbo again, try to build up his reputation again to try to get another OC job down the road. Unfortunately, he just he, there's not going to be an offensive coordinator job waiting for him right now where he's going to call plays after this past season. Not saying it was all on him. I'm not a James Coley hater by any means. I think that the offense as a whole just struggled. I think it was from the top down. I think it was on him. It was on Jake. It was on the offensive line. It was on the wide receivers. It was on everybody. Everybody just struggled this year, the second half of the season. Everybody had a tough time. Was the play calling not that great at times? Yes. Was the play calling great at times? Yeah. He had some really good games where he called plays and there was just you know clear misses that you could see just from the a casual fan you could see. I feel that we're not going to really miss a beat not having Coley on the field because at the end of the day, the best recruiter on this team is Kirby Smart. And everybody talks about, well, who's going to replace him at, you know, recruiting South Florida? Well, that might be his territory, but you know what? We got South Florida kids before Coley. We're going to get South Florida kids after Coley. And we built a pretty good pipeline there now. I don't feel like that that's going to go away just because James Coley leaves and that all of a sudden they're going to start going to Texas A&M instead of Georgia. Georgia's a national brand now. And really since 17 has been, I don't see that changing just because James Coley leaves. Yeah, I, I never get too hot and bothered about the recruiting implications of this stuff. You know, I, let's let's just look at the Sam Pittman thing, right? Everybody acts like the sky was falling, Sam Pittman's leaving, we're never going to get another offensive lineman, and they bring in Matt Luke. I mean, I, I think to your point, the personality of the coach or the the intangibles of the coach are fine and, and they're one thing, but a lot of people can recruit. There's been coaches at Georgia before, there'll be coaches after, and they've all recruited to Georgia. Georgia is the product. Uh, and at the end of the day, they're, they're salesmen, right? Salesmen sell a product. So they got a pretty good product to sell. The donations that keep coming in make that e- an even better product as all these improvements keep coming to facilities and whatnot. So I, that, that part of it doesn't really get me all bothered, you know, how it's going to affect recruiting. To your point, they still got Kirby Smart, and I will put him up in a recruiting battle against anybody in the country and, and feel real good about the chances of a kid picking him. So that, that doesn't really move me that much. Uh, to your point, though, about the play calling, I'm the same way. I, this isn't one of these things where I, I put all the blame on James Coley or anything like that. I, I especially thought at the end of the season, Sugar Bowl, SEC title, Georgia Tech game, I thought the game plans were pretty good. I mean, SEC title game, I thought they came out first quarter and had a great game plan. Let's go deep. Let's, let's take the top off a little bit. They just missed, you know, the talent just wasn't there. I mean, I, I don't really know any other way to say it. I don't, I don't know who, who gets credit for saying it, but well, how, what does the saying go? It's, it's not about the X's and the O's. It's about the Jimmy's and the Joe's. Fortunately, the Jimmy's and the Joe's on offense, especially on the perimeter, just weren't what they have been in the past. Uh, we've talked about this a bunch, but I think a, a, a storyline that really wasn't talked about, and maybe it was because of why he left, but you know, J.J. Holloman not being there, I think proved pretty detrimental. 
big-time receiver coming back, somebody Jake is super comfortable with. I'm sure it's somebody they were relying on as they were preparing and planning for 2019, and he's not there. So you have to replace that, and there's not just a replacement for him on the roster. So I thought that was a little bit of an undersold piece, but but I, I agree with you. I don't think James Coley should necessarily get thrown under the bus about play calling or, or whatever it may be. I thought the game plans at the end of the season – I was happy with them. Uh, I thought they took shots, thought they did some things. You know, no DeAndre Swift in the SEC title, no DeAndre Swift really in the in the Sugar Bowl against Baylor. So I thought they did the best they could. At the end of the day, what, 12-2, and two, pretty, pretty darn good season. Exactly. I mean, and there's a lot of Coley hate going around, but he had other opportunities and chose to stay and thank him for what he did. I mean, Georgia – under Kirby isn't Georgia what it is without Coley. He was the third longest tenured person on the original staff. I mean, it's only Kirby and Dell left now from the original staff. Schumann was a control analyst to start off with. He wasn't an on-the-field coach from the original on-the-field staff. It was Kirby, Dell, and Coley. That's it. Now it's just Kirby and Dell. So I thank him for what he did. I mean, he helped build that pipeline to South Florida for all those players. So I thank him for that, and I wish him the best at Texas A&M. And, you know, I hope he doesn't, you know, figure out the offensive coordinator stuff and we don't have to see him at another SEC school. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the part you always are, I guess, leery about is going somewhere else and, and that ends up biting you. But, again, I I think some of that's overwrought. I mean, I think. Georgia's going to be okay. Georgia's going to get talent. Georgia's going to have coaches that develop people. And as long as the the head man's still in charge, as long as Kirby's there, you got to feel good about their chances, not only on the recruiting trail, but but on the field. And like I said, I, I think it shows that he's willing to evolve with these hires, willing to change things, willing to do what needs to be done to keep the program excellent. I think that's what I have loved about his tenure as head coach is that excellence is the standard. Vince Lombardi has a great saying that you can't catch perfection, but if you chase perfection, you can catch excellence. And I think that's a great kind of embodiment of what Kirby Smart's tenure has been. They are just catching excellence and it's awesome to watch. And I'm excited to see what they end up doing this year. Just as a a quick pivot to the pro game, uh, another, another dog in the Super Bowl this year. How do you feel about the Chiefs and McCole Hardman against the Niners. I'm not a betting man anymore, but if I was, I'd be I'd be taking the Chiefs. I know the 49ers have a great defense, but speed kills, man, and the Chiefs have it for days all across the field. And it's just it's amazing watching watching them play. Like, I mean, I'm not a Chiefs fan, I'm not a 49ers fan, but it's just fun watching them just the way they play cuz I mean, literally any time any one of those wideouts touches the ball, they could go the whole way. Yeah, uh, it's it's super exciting from a fan's perspective if you're an unbiased observer because I think it pits strength against strength. You get that awesome Niners defense, tons of edge pressure. They want to get after the quarterback, make you uncomfortable, make those feet move. And then you got Patrick Mahomes, probably the most exciting player in pro football right now, can move the pocket, can throw, big arm talent. Great athlete. I mean, it's going to be awesome. And like you said, their edge talent at receiver can get down the field and burn you, which is awesome. Uh, yeah. Come back to our favorite chief, McCole Hardman. You want to know what his his given birth name is? First name? Yes. What is it? Not McC- not McCole. <laughs> what is his given first name? Carrie. Carrie. 
Carrie. C A R Y. Yep. Carrie McCole Harmon. C A R Y. C A R E Y. Yep. Hey, I'm gonna have to start calling him Carrie now. You, your mama call your what, mama call you Carrie. I'm gonna call you Carrie. So, what's your prediction for prediction for the game? No, no, no. Prediction for the game. What's your prediction for Mikol's, uh outfit? Oh man, I can't wait. I mean, he has been on fire. <laughs> yeah, that boombox outfit for the divisional round was incredible, and then he comes in dressed as the Fresh Prince. I mean, I'm I'm real happy with his outfit choices. So he's got to amp it up for for the Super Bowl. I, I don't know. It's going to be electric, though. He his his outfit choices are, are like his play on the field, electric. No, I'm hoping for some MC Hammer. That's my hope. That's my hope. I want some MC Hammer. He could. I mean, Fresh Prince ain't far from it. So. He was right. He's right there already. He could definitely pull it off. He could definitely pull it off. There's no question. So that's my hope. Some MC Hammer. But I mean, I'll be rooting for the Chiefs just because of me, Cole. But I, either way, I just want to see a good game. You know. But I mean, I will root for. I will root for the Chiefs for me, Cole. Yeah, same. I'll rock the red. 19th straight year with a dog in the Super Bowl. Yeah, I love that. That's always great for the brand. So it's just good to see these guys leave and and do good stuff. I know you and I have talked a lot about how. We have really shifted from a professional football perspective from following a specific team to just following the guys that have come out of Athens, which is fun. Um, so I'm, I'm happy to see him go. I was loved watching Sony in it last year. So, you know, as long as the dogs are in it, I feel good about it. Um, well, I think that about covers it for today, boss. So, uh, you know, guys, thanks for listening. Like we said last week, please follow us on social media, Twitter, Instagram. It's blog the dogs. Uh, that's AWG on blog and dogs. Um, go to the podcast, like it, share it, uh, subscribe to it. Give us those good ratings. Uh, anything you can do. We certainly appreciate you listening. Um, go dogs, sick them. Go dogs. Hey, George is better now.